The following is a message from Christ the King Presbyterian Church in Roanoke, Virginia. For more information about the ministry of Christ the King, please visit us at ctkroanoke.org. Good morning. Good morning. It's good to see you all today. Uh, My name is Andrew Martin. I'm the youth pastor here at Christ the King, and it's my privilege to welcome you all uh, to our service this morning. Uh, We're going to be looking at Psalm 65, so please uh, turn with me there uh, in your Bible. Uh, If you don't have a Bible this morning, we're also going to have that uh, projected on the screens overhead, and you can also find a Bible underneath your chair as well. Uh, But Psalm 65... And as you turn there, I just I want to ask you a question. Have you ever felt like giving thanks to God was the last thing you wanted to do? Some of you all, I heard some laughter. Some of you may be thinking, is this some kind of a trick question? Uh, and I certainly don't mean for you to answer that. <laughs> Please don't raise your hands. But um, you don't need to do that. But, but the truth is, every Christian... Uh, when we're being honest, there have been times when, when giving thanks to God has, has been the last thing we feel like we want to do. We wonder, how could I ever give thanks to God in the midst of life? Well, the good news is that God's, God's kindness and His grace is actually going to meet us in the midst of this challenge that we all wrestle with at times this morning uh, as we explore Psalm 65 together, uh, beginning in verse 1. Uh, so please follow along with me as we read together. To the choir master... A psalm of David, a song. Praise is due to you, O God in Zion, and to you shall vows be performed. O you who hear prayer, to you shall all flesh come. When iniquities prevail against me, you atone for our transgressions. Blessed is the one you choose and bring near to dwell in your courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house, the holiness of your temple. By awesome deeds you answer us with righteousness, O God of our salvation, the hope of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest seas, the one who by his strength established the mountains, being girded with might, who stills the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves, the tumult of the peoples, so that those who dwell at the ends of the earth are in awe at your signs. You make the going out of the morning and the evening to shout for joy. You visit the earth and water it. You greatly enrich it. The river of God is full of water. You provide their grain, for so you have prepared it. You water its furrows abundantly, settling its ridges, softening it with showers and blessing its growth. You crown the year with your bounty. Your wagon tracks overflow with abundance. The pastures of the wilderness overflow. The hills gird themselves with joy. The meadows clothe themselves with with flocks. The valleys deck themselves with grain. They shout and sing together for joy. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, uh, we thank you that uh, you know that we live in a real world with, with real hardships. And you know that it is hard for us to give you thanks at times. And so, Father, we thank you that, that you are kind, you are gentle, you are patient with us. And that you also meet us uh, with the truth of your word to show us who you are and and what you are like. And so we pray that that those truths would sink deeply into our hearts this morning. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Hey world, do you care what happens here? Hey world, do you care what happens here? 
nearly two years ago in, in August of 2021, the BBC uh, published an article online. And the title of that article included this heart-wrenching quote I just had. It was from a young woman in Afghanistan who was crying out, Hey world, do you care what happens here? You see, uh, this article was published just one week uh, after the Taliban had taken over Afghanistan. And the BBC provided a window into the fears this particular young woman was experiencing. Uh, listen, listen to more of, of what she said about what was going on in her life. She said, we are left behind. Fear has taken over my whole being, and as the days pass, I can feel how hope fades away from within me. It gets replaced with frustration. All I can see is darkness, uncertainty, and a not-so-bright future. Imagine being on a long road with no end, with hazy weather, alone. Hey, world, do you care what happens here? Do we matter to you? Do you see us? Do you? Do you care? This is a, this is a very common cry. And I imagine that this, this cry of do you care has escaped the hearts and the lips of probably every person in this room at some point or another. Maybe we didn't say it out loud, but I imagine that we all wondered it. We've, we've probably gasped this question as we, as we see people around us seeming to show callous indifference to suffering that goes on in the world. We've probably also directed this cry above us uh, to God as well, saying something like, hey, God, do you care what happens here? God, do you care about the suffering of people living in places devastated by war and injustice like this young woman in Afghanistan? God, do you, do you care about me? When I feel left behind, when my hope seems to fade, when life's sorrows bring darkness and uncertainty, when it feels like I am facing a long and hazy road with, with no end, all alone, God, do you care what happens to me? Do I matter to you? This is a common cry for so many people. And if we are honest, we know that in those kinds of moments, giving thanks to God is the last thing we want to do when we feel like God doesn't care about us. Giving thanks to God is the last thing we want to do when we think that God doesn't care. And when, when we begin to read Psalm 65, which begins with David crying out with praise to God, our knee-jerk response might be, yeah, right. I, I can't, or I, I don't think that I'm going to do that right now. But maybe, maybe we also find ourselves a little bit curious. Maybe we find ourselves wondering, well, what does David have to give thanks for? And, and is it possible to have these reasons for giving thanks to God in my own life as well? And that is the key question that the Bible meets us with today. The question of how does God make it possible for David to give him praise, for David to give him thanks? Psalm, actually, Psalm 65 actually gives us many reasons for this. And we're going we're to examine just three of them. And the first reason is in the first four, vo- four verses where we see David giving thanks to God for his forgiveness. Now, as we 
As we soak in these verses, we see God doing incredible things. In verse 2, God had heard David's prayers. In verse 3, God had rescued his people from their sin. In verse 4, God had chosen and brought them into his home. There, there are so many things we could say about all of these things. I mean, entire books have literally been written on each of these topics. And we desperately need for these things to all be true. Yeah, many of you have probably been looking at the news recently and saying that there have been a lot of reports on the heat waves that are sweeping over different parts of the world. And these heat waves have left many people literally gasping for relief from thirst, from, from heat exhaustion. Many people are desperately in need of refreshment, and, and the, true is, the same is true for our souls as well. Because we hear and we tell ourselves many lies about who we are, many lies about what God is like, and it, it leaves us gasping. And so we, we are like people who need cool water. We are like people who need a, a breeze to revive us, to, to refresh us. And so let's sit for a moment in these first four verses and, and allow some of this refreshing truth about what God is like to just wash over us, to, to renew us. Look at verse 3. It says, When iniquities prevail against me, you atone for our transgressions. What this verse is talking about is, is humanity's problem with sin. That's what it's talking about with words like transgression and iniquity. Now, I'll be the first to admit that, that sin is often a confusing and also controversial topic uh, in our culture. It's confusing because we often, we, we really don't know how to describe sin, or we can't agree on a definition. Well, a very simple way of describing sin in the way the Bible talks about it is this. Sin is how we have rebelled against God and why we are guilty before God. That's, that's how the Bible talks about sin. But sin is also controversial because the idea that we are guilty of rebellion and deserve punishment, it, it can be very offensive to many of us because many of us, we, just, we don't believe that we're really all that bad. But one very wise pastor I once heard speak on this subject, he, he pointed out that, that Jesus the hero of the Bible, he actually shows us that we really are that bad. For example, some of us may be sitting here this morning thinking, well, I mean, how bad could I truly be? We hear about all these terrible things that happen in the world, but, but I've, I've never murdered anyone. I've never done something like that. But Jesus, he actually comes to us and he says, if you hate your neighbor, you're a murderer. Jesus is kind, he is gentle, he is also very, very truthful. And he shows us that we are, we are actually way worse than we could ever imagine that we are. But I imagine many of us have also experienced the excruciating uh, pain of when our conscience, our own conscience, gnaws on our soul. I mean, have you guys ever, you know, seen a dog that was, was gnawing on a bone and it was just going to town on this thing. And it's like, man, this dog is going to chew this bone down to the very last splinter. Has anyone ever seen something like that? I imagine many of us have felt that kind of thing in the pit of our stomach sometimes. When we lie awake at night and our conscience just gnaws at us. Reminding us of the things that we've thought, the things that we've said, the things that we've done. The things that maybe we're the only person that we think knows about it. 
And we lie awake, maybe sweating even, just not able to fall asleep because we think, what would happen if anyone knew about these things? And is there any possibility that these things could ever be made right? I've certainly experienced that. I imagine many in this room have as well. And the good news is that David is able to give thanks to God because God has provided a way to deal with that sin. He's provided a way to deal with that guilt. He's he's made a way to free us from that gnawing agony that causes us to tremble at night and keeps us from falling asleep. I mean, look what it says again in verse 3. He says, when iniquities prevail against me, you atone for our transgressions. David gives thanks. He gives praise to God because when we face our sins that prevail against us, or as, as one commentator puts it, when we face our sins, our rebellions, which are too great for us to deal with by ourselves, that we could never make right on our own, God provides atonement. Another way of putting it, he provides a way for us to be forgiven. He provides a way for us to be made right with God. And he provides this way through the cross of Jesus. All of the sacrifices of the Old Testament ultimately point to the one final sacrifice of Jesus. You see, Jesus did not come into this world just to simply be a good example or, or a good te- or wise teacher. He was both of those things. But Jesus came also to rescue us from our rebellion, to rescue us from our iniquity, our transgression, our sin against God. And he did it by dying on the cross in our place to pay the price for our sins that we, we could never have paid by ourselves. In John 3.16, it says, God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that, that whoever believes in Jesus does not have to perish in their sin, does not have to be a slave to the gnawing agony of their conscience anymore. And Jesus did this while we were still his enemies. When no one would have had any other reason to care about someone, Jesus loved and cared for us and died for us while we didn't care about him. God has shown his tremendous care through the terrible cost of the cross. In one of his um, books, there's a, a man named Brian Chappell, and he tells a story. He tells a story about a man who had gone through some very, very hard things in his life. At a very young age, he was working as a miner. And he was, he was made an invalid in an accident. He was no longer able to work any longer. And as the years and as the time went by, he would sit in his, in his window at his home and he would look out and he would see his former co-workers and his neighbors continuing to go through life, growing up, having families and children and grandchildren while he remained alone. And he looked out and he saw that the company that he had used to work for was, was doing very well financially and and, and really did not do anything that they should have been doing to help care for their, former, for their former worker. He was a man who knew sorrow. He was a man who knew loss. He was a man who knew tragedy. And one day uh, in his old age, a younger man came to visit him and he asked him a question. He said, I hear that you believe in God. And I hear that you believe that he loves you. How is that possible after all of the hard things you have gone through in your life. And the man looked at him, and his his answer was sobering. He said, there are times when I doubt that. 
There are times when it's hard for me to believe that God does love me. But then I'm always reminded of what Jesus did for me on the cross. I'm always reminded of what Jesus did, of how Jesus suffered, of how Jesus knew sorrow, of how Jesus knew tragedy for me. And in the midst of all the hard things I've gone through, I look and I am reminded of how Jesus allowed his own body to be, to be hurt as he died on the cross for me. And I am left without any question that God does love me. I know that he loves me. And you all, this is what makes it possible today for Jesus followers, for Christians to give thanks to God just as David did. Even when the hazy road of life causes us to wonder if God cares, we remember that what Jesus did for us on the cross as he suffered and died because he cares for us. Many of us, many of us we walk around believing that Christianity is, is about a bunch of rules, that it's about, about a bunch of regulations, about a, a bunch of stuff we've just got to do to either help our neighbors think well of us or, or maybe if we're lucky to make God think well of us. Basically, we, we think of Christianity often as moralism. And if, and if that's the burden that you brought in this morning when you think about Christianity and God, let me, let me take that burden off of you. Because the way the Bible talks about what it means to follow Jesus is basically the exact opposite of all that. You see, Christianity is not about what we have done. Christianity is about a relationship. It's about a relationship with a God who, who loves us so much that he would send his only son to die for us so that we could be forgiven. And that is why we Jesus followers obey God. There are rules, there are ways that God wants us to live, but not so that we can be made right with him. Because if you are trusting in Jesus, you are already right with God. And so when we obey him, it is out of the overflow of, 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 of joy and of love for his irresistible love and care that he has already shown us through the cross. And so we follow him because when we look at the cross and see what Jesus did for us there, we know that he loves us. We know that he cares for us. There may be many answers, many questions we don't have the answer to, but the ultimate question of does God care, there is no doubt of that as we see what Jesus has done. Verses 1 through 4, they give us incredible cause for giving thanks to God, as this man did. And verses 5 through 8 lead us also to giving thanks to God for his deeds. Look with me in verse 5. He says, By awesome deeds you answer us with righteousness, O God of our salvation, the hope of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest seas. Did you notice how David refers to God? He says, the hope of all the ends of the earth, of the, the farthest seas. One scholar named Derek Kidner notes that hope refers to where we place our trust. Hope is where we, where we put our confidence. And we see the incredible scope of God's care, of his giving hope to all people. We see, his, we see the hope he provides going out to people from every nation, from every language, from every skin color, from every social status. Many, many people object that Christianity is, is exclusive, that, it, that it's narrow. And in one sense, it's true. It's true, it's, it is exclusive in the sense that we believe that hope is found in the God of the Bible alone. But in another sense, the exact opposite is true. 
Because as the hope we have in God, it hurdles all divisions and blesses people from all around the world, from every walk of life in a beautiful way. He is the hope of the farthest ends of the earth. We also see that God will, what God will ultimately do when Jesus returns. Look with me in verse 6 and 7, right after verse 5. It says, The one who by his strength established the mountains being girded with might, who stills the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves, the tumult of the peoples. God is, God is the one who is mighty in power. He's the one who created the mountains. He's the one who by his strength can calm the raging sea as we saw Jesus do, as we saw him do when he brought his people through the Red Sea. And this same powerful God will also one day bring peace to the world. You might be wondering, well, how'd you, how'd you get there? Well, look in verse 7. In verse 7 it says, he, he stills the roaring of the seas. He also stills the tumult of the peoples. Commentators explain that when it talks about the tumult of the peoples, it's talking about the turmoil, the struggle, the hardships we experience in this world. Specifically war, oppression, abuse, fighting. Just as God can still the roaring sea, so God can and will bring an end to these other things that cause so much pain that cause so much suffering. People will no longer cry out in suffering from places like Ukraine or Afghanistan that are torn by war or heartbreaking atrocities. And here in the United States, children and spouses will no longer cry out when they're mistreated by, by family, by, by neighbors, by their peers or by their coworkers. Because when, when King Jesus returns, he will bring justice against all wrongdoing. And he will wipe the tears of his people away from their eyes as he stills the tumult of the peoples because he is powerful and because he cares about these things. And this is meant to bring awe and joy to God's people around the world. Look in verse 8. It says, So that those who dwell at the end of the earth are in awe at your signs. You make the going out of the morning and the evening to shout for joy. Hebrew scholar Jack Collins summarizes it this way. The plan is that eventually all peoples through these deeds, through these and other deeds, will be in awe at God's signs and join nature. The, the going out of the morning and the evening and its shout for joy. Friends, let me tell you what this does and doesn't do for us. This doesn't make the hard things that we continue to cry out for go away right now. But this also does give us hope. It gives us hope because we know that God does care for us because he's brought us into his family through Jesus. It also gives us hope because we know that our Father will be with us in the midst of what's going on and that he himself has tasted bitter suffering. And it also gives us hope because although the story may be painful right now, we know how the story ends. We know that one day the tumult will be stilled and that we will be at home with our Father where there will be perfect peace. And no more need for crying. And as though this wasn't enough to give thanks already, Psalm 65 ends with yet one other reason to give thanks to God. Look with me in verses 9 through 13. It says, You visit the earth and water it. You greatly enrich it. The river of God is full of water. You provide their grain, for so you have prepared it. You water its furrows abundantly, settling its ridges, softening it with showers, and blessing its growth. You crown the year with your bounty. Your wagon tracks overflow with abundance. 
The pastures of the wilderness overflow. The hills gird themselves with joy. The meadows clothe themselves with flocks. The valleys deck themselves with grain. They shout and sing together for joy. I got to tell you, the, those, those verses are one of the main reasons I wanted to preach on this psalm. I mean, if this, this, if this image doesn't fill you with the light, I, I'm not sure what will. As we see God showering blessing and abundance on the earth, and, and we need to be reminded of these blessings and where they come from because it is so easy to forget where they come from. So often our hearts can turn from giving thanks to God to thinking more like a character played by the, the great actor Jimmy Stewart. Some of you probably know Jimmy Stewart. He played Charles Bailey in, um, I think it was Charles Bailey. Anyway, whoever Bailey, George Bailey in uh, It's a Wonderful Life. But he also starred the lead role in another movie that maybe isn't as, as well known. He starred in this role in 1965 in the movie Shenandoah, uh, where he took up the lead role of farmer Charlie Anderson, a farmer actually here in the state of Virginia. And there is an unforgettable scene where, where Charlie and his family uh, gathered together for dinner, and he offers this prayer, and I'll be curious uh, what you think of it. I think it tells us a lot about how Charlie looked at God. Listen, listen to what he says. Lord, we cleared this land. We plowed it and sowed it and harvested. We cooked the harvest. It wouldn't be here. We wouldn't be eating it if we hadn't done it all ourselves. We worked hard for every crumb and morsel, but we thank you just the same anyway, Lord, for this food we're about to eat. Amen. <laughs> I, I, wonder, I wonder if the bitter belief that Charlie Anderson expressed in his prayer about who God is, about what God is like, I wonder if that comes close to the image that often comes to our own minds when we think about God. I wonder if, if sometimes we often think of God as, as being like the one Charlie Anderson prayed to, just detached, uninvolved, um, basically leaving his creation and, and humanity to fend for itself. Basically, the, the God described by deism, uh, where God created the world and then just walked away. And when we think about God in that way, it, it makes a lot of sense that many of us may ask, if God is real, how, how could I ever give thanks or praise to a God like that, let alone have anything to do with him? And while, while these questions often make a lot of sense, I, I hope that through this psalm, you've already begun to see a, a clearer picture of what God is actually like. A God who, who forgives his enemies through the excruciating sacrifice of the cross. A God who is the hope of all the nations and who will one day bring perfect peace. And as we see in these verses, a God who is present and who blesses his creation. Look in verse 9. God gives the water that makes it possible for food to grow. In verse 10, God also gives the water that enables farmers to till the earth and plant seeds to begin with as he, as he sends the rain to, to make the earth soft and workable. Verse 11, we see the image of a cart carrying a harvest that is so abundant that it overflows with God's provision. One, one pastor explains the scene in this way. God is actively nurturing his beloved creation. God has not withdrawn from the world after creating it, but instead tends and keeps it. God is at work caring for the world and bringing blessing. 
And in this beautiful way, Psalm 65 ends. And we're left with incredible answers to our question of of what made it possible for David and for us today to give thanks to God. Like David, we can give thanks to God for his incredible forgiveness. We can give thanks for his deeds and the hope that we have for the future. And we can give thanks for the blessings and for his care for us, even as we go through difficult times. And so to end, brothers and sisters, what what will we do with these incredible truths? How will this shape our lives? How will people be able to tell that, that we actually heard these words and they sunk into our heart and made a difference? Well, one way I would suggest is I hope that both in private and we're together, that we would be people who give thanks to God and who through giving thanks are actually encouraged as we're reminded of all that he has and is doing. But I also hope that it won't end there. I hope that we will also be people who, as we're going about life with our neighbors, that we're people who share that the, way that, the way that God has worked and is at work in our lives. Who that when, when our neighbors ask us, how are you doing, and, and we've gotten to know them, we might actually say, you know, I've been very encouraged by how the Lord has been helping me in this area of life. And just in very simple, day in and day out ways, beginning to, to give testimony and to give praise to God by sharing with other people the way he's been involved in our lives. And my hope is that, that God will use this testimony to him to help others uh, learn about Jesus, that he is the one who has given us this hope, that he is the one who, who has made it possible for, to be God's cared for children, and that they would put their trust in him as well and join us in giving thanks for all of these things. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that, yes, you, you do call us uh, to work, to harvest, to till. Work is good. You created it so, Lord, and yet none of the fruit of our labors would be possible without you. We also thank you that you show us the great truth that we are way worse than we could ever imagine, but your love and forgiveness and mercy is far more incredible than we could ever ever realize. And so, Father, we just pray that you would use these words, that your spirit would press them deeply into our hearts, that we'd be people who who grow in giving you thanks and in sharing with the world the good news of who you are and what you have done and what you continue to do, that others may join us in giving you praise. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen.